Thank you for joining us at Living Water Community Church's podcast. We're glad that you're here. We want you to know at Living Water that God loves you just the way you are, but He loves you way too much to leave you there. We hope you enjoy today's conversation.
I don't remember the situation exactly, but something angered me about the situation. And, um, and I decided that my, my best route, the best thing I could do at the time, was to take the ping pong paddle and throw it at him. Now, being a young, not smart person, I didn't realize that directly behind him is a window. So what happens when you get something thrown at you? You duck. He ducks. My paddle goes through the window, out onto the driveway. And I remember mom coming home and saying, what happened? What happened? And, and sometimes, you guys know, when you get into an argument uh, with somebody, and then your mom comes home, or, or now, if you know, your spouse comes home, whoever it might be, they come home and they say, what happened? And you just give them that silent face, like, who's not going to respond? Like, who, who's going to spill the beans first? Who's going to tell on who first? Nobody talked, right? You, you give them the silent treatment. And, and, and some of you guys are like, you've never done that before, and you are lying to yourself. You've given that silent treatment. And I remember mom would come into the room and she'd say, well, what happened? What, what, just, what just went down on any of the times that we got into arguments? And we both go silent. And more than likely, she already knew what happened. Somehow, moms know everything. Guys, I've also discovered that wives also have that trait, so just letting you know. I don't, it's, a, it's a female thing, I guess. They know everything. So she would ask, what happened? And more than likely, she already knew. Well, she knew that I chucked the ping pong battle. She knew that I hit Taylor. She knew that Taylor hit Jordan. She knew that Taylor called 911 for the third time that day because he said I was going to beat him up. That happened. She knew what was happening. She, I, they came to our house, guys. They came to our house and had to have a talk with him about you can't call 911. Like anytime we were home alone and I would, I would threaten, I guess, for lack of a better word, him, he would call 911. That's what we do. From the home phone, throwback, all right? And they would come to the house. But she knew what happened. She knew what was happening. And so, so why does she ask us to tell? Why does she want us to tell? I, I think oftentimes it's because when we actually speak the things that are frustrating us or the things that are making us mad, we realize just how silly they really are. When, when we're forced to say, well, he beat me in ping pong, so I threw the paddle at him. He's like, Jake, was that, was that a really good reason? I think that when we speak it, we realize how silly the argument really was. And I want to read some scripture today that involves some arguing. It involves the silent treatment. It involves a revelation that I think it helped me as I started. Hopefully it will help you today. So I want to read some of God's word today in Mark chapter 9. If you guys will go with me. Mark chapter 9 is where I want to read today, starting in verse 33. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 33. It says this, it says, they came to Capernaum, and when he, he being Jesus, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet. This is that side of the day. They said, ah, not going to say anything. But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Verse 35, sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be last and a servant of all. And then he took a little child whom he placed among them, taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever does not welcome me, or, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So we pick up in this story where Jesus and his disciples, they've been on a journey. They've, they've been on a trip, and they arrive back in Capernaum 
for some rest. They arrive in Capernaum to stop for a little bit and to rest. This is first off telling you it is biblical to take some rest. All right, take your nap. It is biblical. But seriously, rest is important, okay? Rest is important. I've learned this. They, they come back to Capernaum, and Jesus looks back at the disciples, and he says, Hey, what were y'all arguing about? Now, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is God the Son. He knows what they were arguing about. Without a doubt in my mind, he knows what they were arguing about already. But he says, hey, what were y'all arguing about back there on the road? And, and they go, they do the silent treatment. And they didn't want to say, because the Bible says that they were arguing about who was the greatest. They were arguing amongst themselves as disciples. Who is the greatest? Is it, is it you? Is it me? No, I, it's me. Trust me, it's me. I, Jesus said, he will build his church upon me. I'm the rock. Peter, I'm the greatest. And probably like poor Bartholomew's like, well, nobody even ever talks about me. I know I'm not the greatest, you know. But he's like, somebody here's the greatest. They're arguing about who, who is the greatest. Now, some of you with siblings can start to relate to this even more. Who's the greatest, right? You've had this argument with your sibling. No, I'm the favorite child. No, I'm the favorite child. No, no, I'm telling you guys, Taylor and Jordan have told me this more in my life than I can count. They said, well, you get away with whatever you want because you're a preacher, is what they'll tell me. You, mom and dad let you do whatever. And I'm like, no, that is not true. I recall, if I recall correctly, in sixth grade, when I got my first progress report, not report card, progress report. Those don't even count, guys. It's, it's not even real. Four and a half week progress report. I hid it from mom because I had a C in a class. I never made C's before. And I was woken up in the midst of the night, not with a hey, Jake, why don't you have a C? But with a nice leather strap that has a buckle on it, and it's about 36 to 38 inches, depending on who wears it or the size of it, and said, why did you not show me that you got a C? But then when my brothers get C's and these, they're like, good job, guys. And I'm like, hey, what do you mean I'm the favorite? You get to do whatever you want to do. But they're arguing about who, who, who's the greatest. These arguments are, are what the disciples are, are talking about on their journey. They're, they're making this journey back to Capernaum, and they're saying, who, who's the greatest? Who's the favorite disciple? No, I'm the favorite disciple. No, you're the favorite disciple. And again, I can imagine Peter probably being like, well, Jesus told you guys upon me he's going to build his church. I'm the greatest. And other guys like, ah, man, it might not be Judas. Is probably going, oh, definitely ain't me. I'm not the greatest. You know, But they're arguing about who is the greatest. And, and as they're making this argument, Jesus doesn't interfere. He doesn't get into their argument. But later, when they get to their destination, he asked them, what were you arguing about? And he already knows. He knows they were arguing about who was the greatest. And I love that Jesus replies to them. And when he replies, he doesn't deny their desire for greatness. He just shifts their idea of it. He doesn't deny, he doesn't say, hey, as a Christian, I don't want you to be great. He doesn't say, I don't want you to do things excellent. He doesn't say, I want you to, to just live a mediocre life. He doesn't deny their desire to be great. He just wants to make sure that their motive is right. He wants to make sure that, that their reasoning for being great, that they understand what it means to be great, that they have some guidelines to their greatness. He wants them to understand that greatness in the kingdom is not what greatness is on earth. He wants them to understand that greatness in, on earth Looks like a nice car, looks like a nice house, looks like financial security, looks like all of these things. But he says, greatness in the kingdom does not look like that. And he tells them two quick summaries of what it takes to be great in the kingdom. And that's what I really want to look at today is these two things 
that he says. He tells them first off, he says, anyone who wants to be first must be very last and the servant of all. Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I think about greatest, I don't think about somebody that's in last place. Like, this is the exact opposite of what Ricky Bobby preaches, right? Like, he says, if you're not first, you're last. But, but Jesus says, if you want to be great, you need to be last. You need to be a servant of all. By all accounts, Jesus was the greatest. Jesus is the greatest. By every account, however, this argument that, that he's making is that if you want to be first, be last. If you want to be seen as great in the kingdom, be last and be a servant. Again, that's, that's not what I think of when I think of, of greatness, I'll be honest with you. In my human body, when I think of greatness, I think of people that, that are successful, people that have, have built themselves and are, are successful at what they do. I think when I think of athletes, you know, as much as I can't stand it, Tom Brady, greatness, as much as I can't stand it, LeBron, Greatness, okay. As much as I can stand these guys, when I think of greatness in a human mindset, I think of successful. But Jesus tells them that if you want to be the greatest, you must be a servant of all. A servant of that three little three little words what kills us of all. Not a servant of just your church members. Not a servant of the people that voted the same way as you. Uh oh. Not a servant of the people that believe the same way as you. Not just a servant of the people that look the way you do, but a servant of all. If you want to be the greatest, be a servant of all. What if I told you guys that there are people in our church that every week pray specifically for you on Sunday morning? You don't even know about it. They're a servant. And what I love about the kingdom is that he sees no level in our service. That person that comes and prays is just as great as anyone, anything that I do. Just because I have a microphone, just because James has a microphone, doesn't make that service any greater in the kingdom. Right. People that pray for our services, can I tell you that oftentimes the prayers of people for our services have a greater impact on the service than the songs or the message that I will ever preach or that James will ever sing. The prayers, servant, that's a servant mindset. They never get a microphone, they never stand up front, but they are serving. You see, in the kingdom's eyes, I love this, that there's no level to our service. There's not, oh, you're a pastor, you're up here. Oh, you just pray, you're down here. Or, oh, you're a singer, you're up here. Or, you're just a person that puts the chairs out, you're down here. We're serving. Anything that we're doing, we're being a servant of all. Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest, be a servant of all. The person that comes in here every Sunday, Jeff, and starts the coffee and sets all that out, guess what he's doing? He is serving you. In the exact same level in God's eyes that James serves you. In the exact same level in God's eyes that I serve you. He is serving. There's no level to service in the kingdom. There, the person that starts the coffee is no greater than the person that sweeps the floors. Is no greater than the person that sings the songs. Is no greater than the person that preaches the message. Jesus tells them, if you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to see your church do great things, start serving. If you want to see your family get a close-knit, tight bond together, go and serve as a family sometime. If you want to see change happen, start serving. You see, and I believe the issue is that a lot of churches, when they're trying to grow, we're seeking instead of serving. We're seeking people to come into our building. We're seeing how can we get people, how can we get people. And Jesus is saying, if you want to, if, if that's what you want, then start serving people. And not don't just serve them on Sunday morning, but go to them and serve them on Tuesday. 
Go to them and serve them on Friday night. Serve them where they are. Serve all. Be a servant of all. If you want to be the greatest, be a servant of all. If you want to be first, be last, and be a servant of all. If this is not confusing to you, you're lying. Because that is not what I think when I think greatness. If you want to be first, be last, and start serving people. And then he goes on to say something about a child. He takes a little child, places it among them, and then takes the child in his arms and says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not actually welcome me, but the one who sent me. So when you welcome a little child, you're not just welcoming God the Son, you're welcoming God the Father, the one who sent me, is what Jesus said. Now, 95% of people that I know love children. If you're part of that other 5%, again, we're praying for you. I know that you'll get there someday. How can you hate children? They're so adorable. Come on. Um, but 95% but, but of people I know love kids. I love this church because it's a church that loves kids. You guys, from the first time that we walked in here, accepted Marley, loved her. She loves you guys. She gets pumped up to see you. She's got my peekaboo behind. She, she loves it. You guys accept everybody, all the kids in here. You accept all the noise and the chaos and the fun that is the kids. I see you guys all the time sharing stuff on Facebook about kids in the church, and, and that's great. And Jesus is telling them, welcome, welcome the little children, and, 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 and welcome them. And when you welcome them, you're not just welcoming me, but you're welcoming the one that sent me. But, again, my flesh side thinks do I really have to accept children to be great? Well, what is he trying to say here? What's he trying to show me or show us through this scripture? Have you ever seen somebody with a child cuddled up in their lap that seemed unhappy? All right, well, 90, again, 95% of the time, it's a very joyous occasion. Now, some of you, you remember when you had a baby, and I remember this too, and it's like 3 a.m. and you're cuddled up, and you're like, dude, go to sleep, you know? But for most of the time, when he's cuddled up in your arms, or she, we're in a good mood. So my first instinct when I thought that is that's what Jesus was trying to say. Like, when people are holding children, when we welcome children, we're, we're happy, we're positive. Be that way. And again, there's, no, there's nothing better as a dad than cuddling up that day. Now, I, can you just imagine John and Cole cuddled up right now? What a beautiful sight that is. So it's 17. Aren't you 17? Oh, see, I knew I was predicting the future. At 16, cuddled up with dad. Like, can you just get that picture? But cuddling up is, is a very comforting thing. And so I thought that that's what Jesus was trying to say is, is everybody's happy when holding a child. Be like that. Be that person that keeps that positive mindset. But as I began to study it deeper, it was actually quite the opposite. So during this time, children were not seen as cute little Mickey Mouse carrying adorable creatures. They were seen as valueless. They were seen as worthless. And for us, it's hard to even think about that. But, but the reason was is because they didn't contribute anything. They didn't do anything. Right? What do babies contribute, right? Diaper, that's about it. That's, and, and cries. They, didn't, they had no value. They didn't have a job. They didn't give any money towards anything. They, they couldn't contribute to their family. And so oftentimes, kids were seen as sort of like that outcast person of the family. They weren't welcomed. They weren't loved and adored by everybody. They were looked at as like, well, I'll see your value when you get older, when you can start doing something, when you can start producing, when you can start making a difference, when you can start, as, as some of you might have heard said or some of you might have said, when you can start earning your heed. But 
hate to, to say this, but, but I'm afraid that a lot of Christians are looking at people in the world and saying that same exact thing today. Well, you can come to my church. Sure, we'll welcome you. But, but do you, you're not really going to have any value until I start seeing what you're doing. Until I start seeing you produce. Until I see you come more than once. Until I see you be faithful. Until I see you be a part of some team at the church. Until I see you do this. And Jesus is telling them, welcome the little child. This children didn't have value until they became old enough to do something. And as a disciple, again, human body, when I'm thinking, how can I be great? I don't think, let me welcome a baby. I think there's a lot more important people I would rather be welcoming. Right? Let me welcome the church leaders. Let me welcome the Pharisees. Let me welcome those who are trying to serve you. Let me welcome the, the higher-ups. Let me welcome the wealthy. But God, I don't have to welcome the children. You see, what does that sound like in, in church in 2021? It sounds like, well, why do I have to clean the bathrooms? Well, well why do I have to speak? Well, why do I got to be the one that fixes the coffee? Why do I got to be the one that, that turns the air off every week? Why do I got to be the one that helps people get to a parking spot? You see, we, we come up with this mindset of somehow convincing ourselves that we are too great to serve. We, we've convinced ourselves that because we come to church and because we maybe raise our hand and because we live a life that we think is somewhat good, that serving is beneath us. And can I tell you, I heard one of my favorite preachers say this one time. He said that if serving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. And, and as he said that, I was like, holy cow, but, but how true that? Because the Bible says in Mark 10, 45, what did Jesus come to do? The Son of Man, he come to serve. And if Jesus serves, who in the world are we to think that we are not supposed to do this thing? Now, let's get back to this argument. The, the guys are arguing along the road, right? That's, that's where we started. They're arguing. They're, they're fighting over who is the greatest. And Jesus, again, he, he doesn't deny their desire for greatness. He just shifts their idea. I love that, that we have a Savior who, who realizes, hey, if you want to be great, that's fine with me. Just make sure that your motive is right. He doesn't say, I don't, need, I don't, I don't want you to be great. I don't want you to be successful. Imagine how depressing of a, of a God that would be the start that just says, hey, just live a mediocre life. I know there will be some bad days. I know there will be some hard days. But one of these days, Jesus is coming back. Like, we're just always longing for tomorrow. And Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough worries of its own in tomorrow. He's called us to live in this life. And while we're here, to bring him glory and honor. And why not be as great as we can doing that? So in this argument, they're arguing about who is the greatest. Now, I just wonder, like, this thinking as a human, how, did, how are they determining it? Like, what, like I, I've, I've cast out four demons. Well, I've cast out six. I'm better than you. Or I opened two blinded eyes. Or I saw Jesus with the woman at the well. I'm at the top. You know, like, how, how did they determine who was the greatest? What was their basis for the argument? And, and I, I also begin to wonder, I wonder weird things sometimes when I read Scripture, but when, when the Bible often tells that the disciples followed Jesus, what, what did that look like? Like, because they're walking most of the time. So are they in a single file line behind it? Like, is the road wide enough where they kind of all walk together? Are they in like the Gordon Bombay flying V and Mighty Ducks? Like, how are they following Jesus? Well, what does that look like? You know, how are they actually following Jesus? More than likely, there was somebody that was closer to Jesus than somebody else. 
That's just what it means to follow, right? Somebody is right behind him, or somebody is right beside him, or somebody is closer to him than somebody else. And, and, and so I, I wonder if they were thinking, well, I'm closer to Jesus when we follow him, so I'm the greatest. Or, again, what that sounds like in today is, well, I serve in the church. I'm greater than the one that just comes to church. Or, I pay my tithes every week. I'm greater than the one who doesn't pay their tithes. Or, I raise my hand on every single song. I'm greater than the one who just stands there. Like, I, I wonder what, what their basis was for the argument of how, how were they determining who was the greatest? He, he, they were asking, they, they were saying, well, I know I'm first in line. I'm closer to Jesus. I'm closer to him. I, I, I am greatest because I'm right behind Jesus in line on the road when we're following him. He was, he was first in line. He was shotgun, so to say. He was riding shotgun. How many of you guys know if you want to get somebody mad, talk about shotgun, right? Let's just clarify right now the rules for shotgun are you cannot call shotgun until you see the car. That's the rule. That's the rule. That's the rule. I, I, if you hate the rule, sorry, but that's the rule. You cannot call shotgun right now. There's no cars visible, okay? That's the rule. But he's saying, I, I'm shotgun. I, I'm closest to Jesus. I'm at the front. And I want to show you guys something, and I didn't ask anybody, and I probably shouldn't have, but I, but I, I want to show you guys an illustration. I want to show you an example of what this probably looked like. And so I'm going to need four people. And I didn't ask anyone, but I'm going to start picking people right now. This is like school. This is like teacher, right? Like every, This is where you start not making eye contact with me. This is where you look down. You know, you're not praying. You just don't want to get picked, you liar. All right, Cole, you're first. Happy early birthday. <laughs> Cole, you got it. Aaron, you got it. You got me scared to death right now, aren't you? Let them ask you to wash your toes feet. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> John, you got it. So, I want you guys to see this. All right. So, get an alarm. Hope you be in front of the line. Face that way. Hop in line. Sit in line. I'm in the school. Be virtual. And I see. I thought you forgot how to get in line. So, you got people. All right. These are the disciples. They're, they're following Jesus. And Jesus is up here. And, and I put Colby at the front of the line. Why? I have no idea. Pray for, pray for this line, because it's always at the front. But, but as they're falling, right about now, John's probably thinking, what, why is Colby up front? Yeah, no doubt. He's saying, like, doesn't Jake know all the stuff that I do at this church? Doesn't Jake know? Holy cow, I should be scared of him. He should be at the front. All right, so John wants this part at the front. John, you go to the front. Colby comes back. And, and then Aaron's thinking, just took in this kid. Like, how great of how much greater of serving can I do? Of course, I should be at the front. Why is Why is Baldy at the front? What she's thinking right about now, right? So, Aaron, you go to the front, John. You're out. And now, about this point, Cole is saying, "Of course, I'm last. I'm a kid. Of course, you don't pick me. Look at my hair. Why would I, why would I be in the front? Thirty minutes. Jeez, how did you? Alright, so I don't have a reason, but Cole, you go to the front. And, and so the disciples are saying, no, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the front. No, I'm the front. And, and, and what's crazy to me is that the only reason that Cole is at the front of the line is because I called this the front. Hmm. 
Now what if I tell them to turn around? Then all of a sudden, Kobe's at the front. Why? Because I called this the front. So my question to you is what in life are you calling the front that Jesus is saying that is not the front? You see, what the front looks like in a lot of our lives is, is like this. I've got a nice house. I've got a nice job. Mm. I, I've got financial security. Yeah. I'm comfortable. I'm married. We have kids. Everything's going the way I want it to go. We call the front so many superficial, earthly things. And Jesus is saying that is not the front. What are we calling the front? Back here, he's like, guys, I, I want to be up front. And so all that it would take again for me to put him at the front it's just a two words. All right, turn around. And Cole's back at the front. Why? Because I've called this the front. So what are we calling the front in our lives? What are we calling being the greatest? Thank you, guys. You know, so now. What are we calling the greatest? What are the things that you are saying make one great? Is it serving? I bet for a lot of you, that's not what you think of. But Jesus says that if you want to be the greatest, you need to serve. Not you need to have a comfortable bank account. Mm. Not you need to live in a nice house. Not you need to have a nice car. Not that you need to look the part. But if you want to be the greatest, serve. If you want to be first, be last. If you, if you desire leadership, start serving. If, if you want to be great, welcome the little child. And what's he saying when he says that? He says, welcome the outcast. What does that mean? It means welcome the person who maybe doesn't believe just like you believe quite yet. It means being a church that says, hey, you come in here however you want to, but we're trusting God that you're not going to leave the same way. When we welcome people in, I need you guys to understand that, that welcoming all, being a servant of all, does not mean that we're condoning their lifestyle. It means that we're trusting a Jesus who can change and transform their lifestyle. That's not my job. That's not your job. As hard as we try to make it our job, it is not. Our job, the Bible says, Paul says, I planted the seed. I planted the seed. And then Apollos came and watered it. And then later on, we saw it come to fruition. Our job is not to change people. I cannot change you. You know why? Because I can't even change myself. I've tried over and over again to change myself, to quit bad habits, to quit doing things I know I shouldn't do, and I can't. But there is a person who can, and his name is Jesus. And so when we welcome the little child, what he's saying is welcome that outcast. Welcome that person who gives no additional value to your church. You ever notice it's so much easier to welcome somebody that wants to come and be a part of something up front? Oh, you guys welcome me with loving arms. And from the first day that I met you, you have welcomed me and loved me and my entire family. But what hurts me a little bit and should hurt you is why, why was I welcomed so much? But yet the person that comes in on their first visit, half of us don't even talk to. I'm sorry. What, 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 we're, we're welcoming people based on their contribution or their value to the church. How can you help our church? How can you help our church? How can you help our singing? How can you help our preaching? How can you help our kids? How can you help our youth? No, it's just thank you for being here. We're so glad that you're here. I don't care if you do something or if you stand at your seat. I am glad that you are a part of our family. 
Our value is not based on what they can produce for us. Their value is not based on that. Their value is based on who they are and as a child of God. So when Jesus tells them this, he says, if you want to be first, be last. Be a servant of all. Welcome the little one. The one who has no authority, who has no say, who has no money, who has no power. How are we treating that person? How are we treating those people? I love this scripture again because Jesus doesn't mind our aspirations for greatness. He doesn't mind you wanting to be great. He doesn't mind you aspiring to do great things. He just wants to make sure that our greatness has some guidelines and is directed in the way that it should be. Greatness looks a whole lot different in the kingdom than it does here on earth. Greatness does not mean in the kingdom that I'm married and I have two kids and we want a nice little house with some land and we're comfortable. Greatness means you serve. How are we serving? How are you serving people? How are you serving your spouse? Guilty. She's not in here. How are you serving your coworkers? How are we serving our friends, our family, our parents? How are we serving others? Because Jesus says, if you want to be great, that's where you start. So as James comes and gets ready to sing, I just I really want you guys to understand today that you don't serve a savior that says, don't be great. You don't serve a God that says, I want you to live a mediocre life. We serve a God that says, he looked at them and he said, what were y'all arguing about? And, and they just, they gave him a silent treatment. Oh. And he says, I know what it was. You were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. He already knew. And he, he could have said right there, you're not great, I am. And he would have been telling the absolute truth. He could have said, quit trying to be great. I'm the one that's great. And he would have been telling nothing but the truth. But instead, he tells them, look guys, if you, want, if you truly want to be great, here's how it starts. If you want to be first, you got to be last. You got to serve. If you want to be great, welcome the little child. Welcome the outcome. And so today, if James gets ready to sing, I just want to ask you a simple question. Maybe two questions, actually. First off, do you want to be great? I, that God says we, he, he doesn't tell it not to be. So in my mind, that means that he's saying that's fine if you want to be great. That's the first question you've got to answer. And if not, we got other issues that we can talk about. But if you want to be great, my next question is, how are you going to do it? A lot of us, where we, we've come to convince ourselves that we are successful, we are good, we've got a good job, we've got a beautiful wife, or a handsome husband, if you haven't told him yet, it's a week after Valentine's Day, you better tell him. We've convinced ourselves that we're good, we're great, because we come to church, we read the Bible, we raise our hands, sometimes worship overcomes us so much that we cry tears, I'm great. And Jesus said, all that's good. But if you want to really be great, serve others. That's one of my favorite things about this church. We're going to do it this afternoon. Is that you guys, I, I told my friends earlier this morning, I really have said this before. You guys, I believe us, I guess I shouldn't say you guys anymore. We are 
such a tight community. That's one of the greatest things about this church. But can I tell you that outside of our community, he's serving too. Can I tell you that the people that don't come on Sunday still need to be served? The people that, that we know, we love, they're our family, they're our friends, maybe they're even our enemies, they need to be served. We do a great job at making our church feel like one big, large family. So why not let's take the family outside and go serve? As he sings this song, I just want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I want to pray for you. And I want to believe with you that you would get a desire to serve. Whether it's in the church, whether it's at your job, whether it's in Walmart, wherever it might be. God tells, Jesus tells us, if we want to be great, you got to serve. you got to welcome the outcast. This is what he tells He says, I don't mind you being great, but let me put some guidelines on your greatness. And his guidelines are two-part. Serve and welcome the little child. Welcome that one who has no value. That one who cannot contribute. Welcome them. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. God, I pray right now from the front to the back, from side to side, God, that you would right now begin to convict our hearts if they are not having a desire to serve. God, I pray that if we're comfortable just going to church, God, that you would break our heart for what breaks yours. God, that we would quit being so content and so thrilled to be going to church that we forget to be the church. God, help us to live a life like you did. You sent your son for one purpose, to go to a cross. And what was he doing on that cross? He was serving us. He was serving all. He was serving believers. He was serving sinners. He was serving the Jew, the Gentile, and the Greek. God, teach us to live a life like your son. A life of service. A life that says we are not above serving anyone. God, give me a heart that says I will serve whoever. Whether they look like me. Believe like me, talk like me, or sound like me. You have not asked me to judge those things. You've asked me to serve them. And God, I pray that we would do just that. God, I thank you for this church and how tight we are as a family and as a community. But God, I pray that you would begin to spark desire in our heart to serve outside of our community. God, that you would begin to spark desire in our church and individuals and families in our church to serve outside of our community. God, that we would take your love, that we would take your action of service outside of these four walls. God, that our worship, that our serving, that our Christian life would not stop the minute we hit that door at 11.15 on Sunday mornings. But God, everywhere we go, that we would serve you, because that's what you called us to do. You said, if we want to be great, we got to serve, and we got to welcome the outcast. So God, help us to do that today. And if there's anybody here that, that says, God, I'll be honest, I don't have that desire. God, I pray today that they would come and pray and ask you for that desire. God, that they would come and say, God, break my heart. Soften my heart and heart and give me a desire again to serve others. And God, I pray for the one that's here today that says, maybe, I don't know about this Jesus that serves. 
God, I pray that you would begin to convict and deal with their heart right now and let them know that they need you today. God, that they can accept you to be that cornerstone, that savior of their life. God, as we stand and as we get ready to sing, I pray that if anybody needs anything from you today, that they would come and pray. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.